Welcome to the Education and Training Foundation podcast. Today's episode looks back at an ETF roundtable leaders meeting held at the start of 2021. During the 90-minute meeting, the group explore key themes and insights into well-being and the challenges this brings in leadership. The meeting was chaired by Stuart Rimmer, with representation from the following leaders. Ali Hadawai, Anthony Harmer, Barbara van der Eken, Caroline Lewis, Chris Webb, Dawn Hall, Palvinder Singh and Sam Parrott. Also in attendance were Claire Gibbs, Janet Clark and ETF's National Head of Inclusion, Teresa Carroll. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this uh, Education Training Foundation uh, Leadership uh, uh, Roundtable uh, event. Uh, we've brought together uh, some amazing leaders from our sector to, to spend uh, just over an hour discussing uh, the concepts of leadership and well-being for reference to, to how we manage it for ourselves, uh, how we are starting to develop uh, well-being strategies in our in our organisations and and perhaps some of the implications of uh, what we're thinking currently around well-being uh, at, at this time, given um, I suppose the context of not only um, well-being being required in the busy world in which we in which we're operating in, but also amplified certainly by uh, the COVID scenarios that we we find ourselves in today. So um, people will introduce themselves as they as they come in around the, the discussion. But just to to kick us off. Um, Teresa, can I just invite you to say a few words um, in relation to what we're doing here today, if that's allowed. Okay, thanks very much, Stuart. Um, I'm Teresa Carroll. I'm Na National Head for Inclusion at the Education and Training Foundation. I'm delighted to see everybody here today. Um, basically, before COVID hit, um, we knew society, mental health and well-being was becoming much more um, topical people were talking about it and particularly out of our sector we knew that it was an issue for both teachers as a workforce but also trying to support the learners across the FE sector. Um, a couple of years ago as a, to try and get some idea of what was going on we um, conducted a survey with our set members and um, we had a wonderful response from them it was well taken up the themes that came out of that um, survey uh, telling us about their well-being they said what really impacted on whether people experienced good or poor well-being was who their line manager was whether they experienced autonomy and trust in their role and really importantly it was who was leading the organization and whether they led by example if that happened then people were and the learners both the staff and learners were more likely to have a positive experience so we looked around the sector to see who was thought to be doing this well and hence we brought you together so thank you very much for giving up your time so hope that's okay thanks Teresa and uh, a little bit of uh, praise in there but a lot of pressure that I took away from that uh, opener in the sense that uh, so our, as leaders, we've got influence, uh, how we're setting autonomy, how we're giving trust and, and how we're leading the organisation, leading by example. So, uh, yeah, lots to lots to unpack in, in that first bit. So thank you for, for that. Um, so I guess let's let's start uh, team there, if, if, if we may, about how you lead yourselves. Um, so, you know, how is it that you lead your own well-being? Uh, you know, that concept of putting, you know, your, your oxygen mask on before you can help somebody else. So. 
Um, I mean, who wants to start us off on how, how they're leading themselves and, and the concept of self-care as a as a leader at this at this time? Chris, you look ready to go, so I'm just going to bring you in straight from the get-go. Thank you very much, Stuart. Um, I wasn't really, but um, okay. Um, how do I lead self? Um, uh, so, um, just give you some background context. So, um, for people I've not met before, I'm, I'm Chris. I'm the CEO and principal at Bradford College. Um, you've probably read quite a lot of headlines in the last few years. Bradford College is, is in intervention. And even before COVID was under significant pressures, um, I was appointed back in March 2019 um, to to join as the as the principal CEO. Um, um, and obviously, under the overloads last year, has been incredible amounts of pressure. Actually, I think the pandemic. Um, I'm always looking for positives. Um, actually, think the pandemic, in terms of managing self and well-being, has actually has actually helped because I think it's focused me on thinking about things I need to do. It, um, so um, things that I do, um, I've taken a lot of more, lot of pressure off. Um, and and I and when we come on to the role modeling bit, um, I've I've always been hugely driven um, and been hugely driven by metrics and quantitative target setting. I used to set myself targets challenging targets, you know, across not only work, career, but life and balance and to do things. Um, and I've actually moved away from that. I've moved away from setting myself challenging targets during this period of time. And I've, I've just settled on, I'm just going to try to do the best that I can. Because at the moment, I don't think the impossible is possible. Um, and I don't, and I believe that um, you actually need to take that pressure off yourself actually taking that pressure off myself and saying to other executives on my team, um, other line managers, I'm just going to do the best that I can do. If that's not good enough at this time, well, that, that's okay because it's incredibly difficult and I can't really expect any more. Um, and that's actually then filtered down into the organisation. And I think taking that pressure off um, is, has made a huge difference um, I'm not working till 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night like I used to. Um, I am clocking off because you can't sit on Zoom meetings all day and all evening. Um, you can't sit on a Zoom meeting and um, have to go away and read the white paper. So I'm actually um, penning a, a much better work-life balance um, given the constraints. I've tried to put exercise back into. Um, so I um, started walking the dog. Um, started in, in, you know, for the first time, as Stuart knows this, um, I've started to do family stuff. This weekend, and this will go into other bits, this weekend, part of, part of what we're doing at college is trying to engage in some fun activity. So the executive have all got to bake a cake. I've never baked a cake in my life. So I'm just going to sit, this, this is exclusive. I'm going with a Victoria sponge because you're, you're supposed to build a cake and then explain how it might show the leadership. And, and I've gone with something simple relatively plain but quite tasty so um that's hopefully uh what i'm going to take a picture of i have no idea how it's going to come out but i've gone away and bought some books the bake-off stuff i'm just going to go with a victoria sponge and have some fun allow yourself to have some fun take the pressure off that is that good enough to start i've done enough that's, 
not, yeah, that's a really lovely start, Chris. And thank you, because I think that that's that's opened up an interesting theme, isn't it, around how you take the pressure off. I guess just the final thought is um, you've allowed yourself in this period to 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 take the pressure off and the metrics. Do you think you're going back to that post COVID when the world kind of sums up some return? Will you drift back to that high pressure, high metrics, or are you going to take stuff up and continue? Well, um, I would hope that I don't. The challenge isn't the internal pressure to go back to it. Um, we've been doing a lot of leadership training as an executive with, with um, Gagby Sanderson on this. And, and when we stopped setting, when we when we stopped setting targets and just started pushing vision and, and asking people to do um, just do their best, we found that performance improved and the college has, has improved wonderfully over the last you know couple of years. Um, the challenge that we face with that, Stuart, is yeah, then Ofsted will come back, and then the FE Commissioner will come back, and then there'll be a whole raft of targets externally. And it goes back, I guess, to what Theresa says, which is, well, what autonomy do we do we face? Um, and I think it's important as a leader um, to sometimes, and I think the most difficult bit as a leader is to stand up for what's right, not what's easy. Um, and sometimes um, you have to you have to stand up in conflict to what's external and, and what's above. Um, and as a leader, kind of be that barrier between the the kind of um, stupidity of, the, of what comes down uh, to protect your institution from it. Um, so well, let me pause you there, because I think we'll come back to the external pressure a bit later. But I will stay on that theme of how we're looking after ourselves. So who else uh, would like to come in on the sort of self-assertion. Ali, in you, in you come, and then Barbara. Thank you, Stuart. Chris, really, really good way into it. Um, as an, an important subject that for me as a person, um, it's something that I've come on to uh, quite recently. Um, and it's only when the penny dropped that um, having spent years being very transactional, um, just like you probably, Chris, just looking at targets and numbers and so on. And the penny dropped just a couple of years ago, um, a bit longer, but mostly actually through Stuart, um, in terms of suddenly I worked out why things weren't working brilliantly with a lot of people, me included, um, and that is the human factor. Um, so I've, I've been doing quite a lot of work on myself, on others, uh, and I'd like to, is it a good time, Chris, if I, uh, Stuart, if I could share a challenge that I'm finding on this subject. <clears throat> so my challenge now is I've spent, you know, good three years doing quite a lot of work internally in the college, both on myself and on others on prioritizing the human factors in what we do. Um, and a lot of people recognize it, especially beyond management. So if you stop now any teacher or a member of staff, professional services in a college corridor and ask them, what is Ali about? They'll tell you this. My problem is over the 10 years before or so, all the people I recruited, all the senior managers and managers, they're the other way. So actually my challenge now is, you know, the more senior people are, the more transactional they are, and they 
they don't really see, I mean, they even joke with me about it. You know? Well, you know, it's about this fluffy stuff and as though I'm dealing with the fluffy stuff and they're dealing with the real work. I said, no, 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 this is the business. That, people aren't going to do better without it. And I'm finding that actually now quite energy sapping. I'm, I'm, um, for me, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, you know, I, I recognize that a lot of colleagues in the college are at the sharp end of all of this, being subjected to it. Um, so that is something that I'm finding quite a challenge. In, in fact, the more I go into it, the more challenging I find, because that's I'm enduring a lot of things for a lot of people who are quite senior in what they do. Thanks, Ali. I mean, you, I think you started to you know, tease out that kind of concept of cultural change that takes a long, long time. And, uh, and I think lots of leaders I've spoken to have reported exactly the same thing. The more you get into it, the, the bigger it gets as a piece of work. And, and I love that distinction between you saying, well, you know, it's not the fluffy stuff. That is the work. And I think that's a really nice, uh, a nice distinction. And perhaps that is the harder work when we start to start to look at that. Barbara, I could uh, invite you to come in on, on uh, self-care. Yeah. Hi, I'm Barbara Van Drecken. I'm the Director of Quality for Babington Apprenticeship and Employability um, ILP and also part of um, SET as Vice Chair. I was actually on a meeting yesterday with Pally. Um, so, <laughs> um, for me, echo a lot of, of what you've said already. Um, I think um, probably about 10 years ago, probably a bit of a wake up call with a bit of a burnout because I was doing too much. So been reflecting a lot about that and self-care is absolutely critical to everything that we do. Uh, both in Babington, we, we really try and, and, and look after our, our guys, but also as a leadership team coming together to still have some fun. And I think that's been the key in the last few months is that what we feel we've lost through just being on Zoom, and I'm just going on a topic that's slightly different, but is that you go into a meeting, you talk about that topic, and we'd sort of lost that human touch. I mean, we're not in a college, we've closed off all our centres, so since March we've not seen anyone physically um, so we've injected more fun into the day-to-day -day life so we have got calls that are in just for fun yesterday I did an hour with my team where we were learning French and doing some fun stuff um, and every week they bring to the table something that they do and and because we do that at work I've realized actually that's something that I really want to do for myself so we're doing it with family as well we're doing some fun family zoom calls and things like that to keep that coming I think we like you said um, Ali it's like it's all about that human side and the human side is about that connection is about that you know discussing things like we did at the beginning of this meeting you know things that really make us smile and help us then with the tough times um, so doing a lot of that and and a few years back when I was probably wondering you know how to do things someone said to me remember you're not a brain surgeon you can stop, things will still be there when you come back to it tomorrow morning. So the idea of prioritizing and really asking myself, is it really gonna make a difference if you finish this paper tonight that no one's gonna read tonight? Or if you give yourself that space, come back to it refreshed tomorrow morning is something that I ask myself all the time. So yeah, I'm not a brain surgeon uh, and um, I, I deal with real people. So I, I utilize that with my team as well when they 
putting so much pressure on themselves that they don't know what to do next. It's like, stop, think, look back, take that time to reflect and then come back at it. And, and it seems to have worked for me. I'm still smiling now. Well, continue doing that, Barbara. Thank you. And some lovely little takeaway tips because that part of the people, you know, hopefully all watch this uh, on the ETF space will uh, we'll be able to do some steals, I think, you know, uh, some uh, after this. Um, Sam, can I bring you in? Because you were nodding along enthusiastically in that. And I know you do loads around self-care. Yeah, I thought I'd put my hand up actually, but it disappeared. So another technological success for me today, which I won't get too worried about. Um, it, it, a couple of things, really. I think just kind of tying together some of the things that Chris and Ali were saying. I'm sure you'll have a graph to describe this, um, Stuart. But um, I think, you know, what um, Chris was um, describing is incredibly brave and bold leadership in terms of the journey that you're on um Chris as a college because I think most people uh would be in the bracket probably where I am and where Ali is where you can kind of feel you can get to those sorts of brave things when you've got all the other things under control so I think there's a, a wonderful book I read but in the school sector about um brave leadership and I think what you're doing very much falls into that category and I think I'm much more kind of where um, Ali is that I feel that I've almost put, you know, over the years established myself, established my leadership, established the, the nature of the, um, the kind of DNA of the organisation that I feel I can step back now and take some of those steps to say it's OK to not be OK, it's OK to uh, give your best, it's OK to fail uh, in this context and, and we will support you. Um, but I think, you know, on, on one of those lovely continuum graphs that you do, Stuart, I'm sure they'll, for most people, if you surveyed them, they'd be a lot further down the line in terms of organisation maturity before they felt they could able, able to do that. So I think that really is great leadership, um, you know, in, in my view, Steve, what you've done. So, Chris, what you've done to create that climate um, uh, and that hopefully will, uh, you know, will stick within the organisation. I'm much more, as I said, kind of where, where Ali is really, and that it, you know, it, you, you, you do often as a leader need a level of comfort, you know, you need that comfort to enable you to, to um, you know, do those things that, that support people. And, you know, we, like everybody, have had lots of examples where things have gone wrong um, operationally or not happened as, as well as we would from, from, you know, errors in MIS data and submissions because everybody's working at home and they're not in the office together collating things. And I think that's one of the things I've just kind of, um, you know, reflect on is we've got a whole lot better at supporting each other when things um, go wrong. Um, um, which they inevitably do, I think, slightly more when you're not in that office and you haven't got all of that kind of working together. So I would say that, uh, we, I mean, somebody said to me the other day, you know, actually, we see a lot more of you now, even though we don't see you in person, because obviously we're all connected through these sorts of mechanisms. And the point you made, Ali, about people sort of thinking, didn't react like I thought you would. You've got a, you're in a different space with all of these things. I think that we have all been enabled to think differently about how we support each other, uh, and and that for me, I think, has been one of the most kind of positive things, really. That I think as senior leaders, I think the the added um, dimension for all of us is the need to support everybody else uh, to keep going, but actually playing back that on ourselves 
that we know that it's okay for us to be in that space as well, really. And, and just to finish on that point, really, I think that's where organisational maturity and having the confidence to do that does kind of come into play and where, you know, doing that, in a, you know, if you are a college that's in intervention and is being monitored and measured remotely as well throughout all of this, uh, you know, it, it's incredibly brave, I think, to prioritise culture and behaviour and, you know, uh, um, uh, issues that are, you know, not as hard as what your retention and attendance and participation in learning and all those sorts of things are really. And that's really brave leadership in my view. Thanks, Sam. That's lo lovely. And I think actually connect, like I say, connecting that concept of being bold and brave and, and maturity is, is, and I haven't got a graph that shows that, but I will have after this, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and take full credit for it, of course. Uh, but there's there's something around, um, you know, how do you do you work on the culture first, and and that is counterintuitive, perhaps, in how we've all been brought up in a in an FE sector. Um, uh, just finally, does anyone else want to come in on the kind of self care? Pally, come in on self care. Thanks, Stuart. Um, uh, self care. I'll be. I'll, I'll try and be quick as possible. Um, I, I find it really hard. I, I find self-care uh, in a leadership position very, very difficult um, because it's it's modelling but carrying and and absorbing and being the stress absorber in order to carry um, uh, the momentum. Um, and and it's it's by by being authentic and paying interest. So when we talk about culture. Um, I find it very, very challenging because it's quite burdensome. Um, so, so I, I've just concluded, in, in order for me to, because everyone's different. Every, every every person, every human being is different. But I've just concluded that um, uh, work-life balance is like um, blended learning. Uh, it's it's a blended life. So I'm sat here and I'm already seeing messages just popping up on my on my machine because we're on. We're on Zoom and messages are popping up on Teams, and it's it's COVID planning for for lateral flow testing. Um, with the, with, uh, so, I'm already you know split in two places, even though people are there attending that. So, so pragmatics of what I try and do um, will differ on a daily basis. Um, but one of my routines that I use is uh, I try and have walk-in meetings. Um, so I, I take people on walks, which forces me to go on a walk, forces them to go on a walk, and it and it's not a direct um, meeting. Um, and I have two, two two meetings. The staff have figured it out. Um, when I'm in a good mood, we'll, we'll we'll walk along the canal, and when I'm in a morbid mood, <laughs> we'll we'll go around the graveyard. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing I've, I've I've done is I've protected my time. Um, in, in, in the mornings uh, and, and the day has extended you know this 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 especially has extended the day to uh, to beyond whatever o'clock um, but in the mornings I try not to have meetings up until nine o'clock and I'll go for a walk in the morning not look at anything I will, have, I will have done an hour before I go out but I'll have a cup of tea with me and I'll take it with me and I'll go for a walk for about an hour um, and, and that's been quite nice and then the third thing that I've done is I've implemented um, no agenda meetings um, and I don't lead them. I don't chair them. We don't have register of actions. It is just we have a meeting and we just go 
my God, 4th of January, what a day that was, you know, and just and let just people talk, really. That's it. I, I find it very hard. No, that's, I, I think that, I think acknowledging the difficulty uh, in any role, isn't it? And, and leadership roles, so 100%. And uh, um, I, if you ever invite me to a meeting, though, where we're headed towards the graveyard, I now know what mood you're going to be in. So that's possibly a, a worry. Uh, but anyway, that's a, but I think the, the burden of leadership is going to have an interesting one. And I know that we, the, the, the sort of received wisdom of, of leadership has always been, I'll suck it up and you just carry it and you carry it and you carry it and you carry it. And, and then one day you burn out and disappear and we don't talk about it again. And that seems kind of a bit difficult. And I think that's probably the paradigm shift we're going to try and start to, to explore and, and how you can put that down or get support um, in that. I really like the idea of uh, agenda free meetings. So and, uh, this being clearly one of them. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask us to move on a little bit. We can always keep coming back to, to topics as we go and, and thinking about, we've started to talk about culture a little bit and um, broadly around how institutionally developed wellbeing strategy. And you might have a document that's written down and all very neat and tidy, or you might have, you know, and, and very prescriptive. You might just simply have done a bit of thinking around it, or you might have, uh, you might have started to approach it from a sort of a different, uh, a different uh, angle, angle completely. So, um, we could probably start actually kind of to bring Dawn in uh, on, on that one because obviously you work in a very sort of um, lots of different little centres, remote people are kind of separated. So. Does that make things easier or, or worse for, for connectivity? Yeah, I think, thank you, Stuart. Yeah, and I think for us both, I think um, as an ACL, and actually I did go out to some colleagues as well, so I'm trying to give you a bit of a collective view here. Um, I think, as you say, a lot of us don't have faces or workspaces. Um, so we're constantly sort of been battling and changing with the guidance to try and get that face-to-face -face for our vulnerables, yet no schools want us in. No children's centres want us in and quite rightly you know they've got their own risk assessments and their part so where we sort of just felt we were making progress we sort of lost it again uh, so I think for a lot of our staff they've really struggled um, to feel connected and feel together initially uh, because so much of what we did it is based you know it's all about the people isn't it all about those connections uh, and those relationships um, I think, as you said, a lot of people have come back and said that they've got a well-being strategy. So lots of people wrote one straight away. But actually, in practice, how does that work? Um, I think what we're finding uh, more, and it sort of fits into the other part as well, a lot of people are saying that, you know, they think visibility is key. Um, so as a leader, they've got to be leading by example. So things that have already been said, but encouraging uh, lunchtime sessions. So quite a few are doing yoga. Uh, and it might just be a 15 minute session, uh, it might be um, a half an hour session, it might just be guests can move about. Um, they have things like wellbeing newsletters, wellbeing Wednesdays, um, putting down tools on a Friday. And I think, as um, Pally said, a lot of people are doing no agenda meetings, but actually, with that, the focus is wellbeing. So it might just be a fun quiz, let's just get together, uh, let's go. I think the feedback um, from a lot of ours, I mean, we're part of a local authority. So obviously we have lots of policies and procedures uh, for local authorities. They've introduced something new called your way of working. Uh, and that's about um, not only um, looking after your own mental health and well-being, but actually the suitability of your equipment. So do you have the right kit? You know, when we all came home last March, 
it was basically grab what you can from the office and it, it was in a briefcase um and i think now the sort of the impact of that on people's physical well-being so such as your back and and you know all those kind of problems um we have newsletters we have calendars we have um it's called not all together now newsletter um and I think it's I think it was Chris that started and he's doing baking. So they do different things and fun bits, so different themes. So they have cake competitions, they have um random pet favourite pet competitions, things like that. Lots of uh, what can you design out of a cucumber or a vegetable. Uh, so they've been doing lots of really daft things. Um but I think, yeah, I, I think for Rose, one of the things I spoke to a lot about as well is staff have been deployed, Stuart. So to actually for their own mental health and well-being if they can't do their job so one of our tutors teaches in a prison uh, obviously we're not allowed to go in at the moment um, but actually to keep her going and connected we've deployed her to do um delivery so pharmacy and food delivery in our local community so she's the leader of a couple of streets um like that but that's the general bit of that so yeah everybody has a policy how it's implemented is very different um, but really trying to get staff connected uh, virtually. Love, love that, Dawn. Lots of, actually, loads, loads of ideas there that we can uh, sort of scribble down and steal ourselves a little bit. And and it's kind of interesting. So there was a model by a, um, a, a researcher called Charney back in the 90s who, who talked about six things that make for a, a good kind of wellbeing structure and strategy. Uh, the first was about have you got all the kit and equipment you need uh, and are you informed? So it's people telling you what, what you need to know and, and if you've got everything you need and you refer to that. Um, the second was around how collaborative relationships work. And um, actually Chris noted in the chat, you know, the Beatles sang uh, with a little help from my friends um, and actually how you connect to people and, and actually lots of those fun activities that a number of us have talked about already are actually about that sort of connectivity. Um, there was a, a, a third one around well-managed change and um, if you're moving from one state to another how how thoughtful is, is that being done and uh, about pace and we might talk about change in a moment um, there was about how people are in control of their own space and workflow and and to what extent can they reach you know structure for themselves uh, what that looks like and um, you know is that in, given from the outside or is actually self-designed and that makes a massive massive difference um and and someone getting a sense of purpose and it's quite interesting actually as you redeploy people how do you give them a very clear sense of purpose and direction and how do they get that for themselves in order to to make sense of it and then the, the final one of the six just for completeness is they having a balanced workload uh, and how do we uh, you know create help people create those disciplines and routines so that they're not you know the working day is not stretching or if it is it's it's doing it in a kind of like pally said it's almost disciplined way um, so there's, there's some things around uh, around that. Sam, um, you want to come in on that? Um, thanks, uh, Stuart. So I've worked out to put my hand up that time. Um, yeah, um, just a couple of things really. I mean, Dawn, a great example there. I've written them all down. And what it was making me think was, I wish I was that spontaneous and that good at coming up with all those sorts of things so uh, but uh, that's why these sorts of networks are, are really good and then I kind of remembered that as you know we've gone through because you forget things along the way don't you of lockdown I remembered quite early on thinking how hard it was to to, um, to think and come up with these strategies and different ways of doing things and um, just the very kind of informal 
asking people how they are, whether it's on a, you know, a, a, a Twitter conversation or a, a, an email or a message through LinkedIn, you know, both within your own institution and beyond it, suddenly became so much more important. And one of the things I reflected on, and perhaps, I don't know, my inadequacy, because I'm not spontaneous about these things, is that I'm not as good as I'd like to be about just asking people those very open-ended questions. And that's partly, I think, because we're so often in kind of instructional, you know, coach, uh, not coach, instructional sort of uh, mentoring and management mode all of the time. But um, it sometimes feels like quite, you know, uncomfortable territory if you're a very formal kind of manager to start asking people all of those informal questions and things. And so in a very, um, you know, uh, college principally kind of way I thought I need to learn more about how to do this so I as a I don't know where I found the time but it actually has been quite therapeutic for me personally I did actually enroll myself on a course an online course which I'm doing it is called Coactive Coaching and it's all about how, how you as an individual try and um, really set a framework in your own organisation for transformational conversations about work and life because it's the and life stuff that I think that people want to talk to you about that isn't necessarily about you know what's keeping you busy or worrying you or keeping you up um, at night about your job but it's all the other stuff and what we did um, in my college was we, we have um, about 25% of our provision is um, SEN provision uh, and a lot of it is young people with um, behavioural and mental health difficulties rather than PMLD or, or learning difficulties. So we have a lot of behavioural mentors in the organisation. And when we moved into lockdown, what we started to do was to use those staff to work more with other staff. And everybody got um, a one-to-one and um, both a personal risk assessment around COVID, but also um, uh, we've moved more towards a model that people will be familiar with in other um, sectors around supervision, because we're finding it's so stressful for staff, um, you know, uh, they're uh, working at home, managing their children and their families online learning. You know, I've been on Zooms with people in nameless government agencies and they put up messages saying things like my work pattern is now four o'clock till 11 o'clock because in the daytime I'm looking after my children and we can't do that because we're in the front line with students and if they don't get a reply from their teacher that day they escalate it to the next person up and you know the anxiety of our students and their well-being and managing all of that so so um we've actually found that moving to more of a um, supervision model with all of the opportunities for staff to talk about those behavioural, um, you know, constraints on their work life and their family life has enabled us to develop much more of a kind of therapeutic approach to supporting staff. So um, I feel a bit better myself that A, I've set that climate and B, I'm a bit better myself because I've invested a bit in know my head and my thinking about how I lead some of that by example really by getting better at it myself because I think like others have said really you know it's you know unless you're you know a wonderfully creative person which I'm not it hasn't felt like it's come very naturally to kind of shift uh, my 
mindset from work mode into a very person-centric mode? Some massively rich contribution there, Sam. Thank you. So, so I mean, because you're right, I'll take away from that is also that sometimes we talk about college leaders or leadership being in this kind of very, you know, almost gingerbread model of we all look and feel the same and we don't, and we all have different, you know, some of us are extroverts and some are introverts, some of us are creative, some of us are kind of reflective and uh, and everything in between, and yet we're trying to step into a new a new way. And, um, uh, you know, I, I've operated a coaching practice for over a decade and, and I suppose that, yeah, it's probably more comfortable for me asking some of those some of those questions but even then sometimes you might feel that there's a an artificial line that you're restricted by either the nature of your role or contractually or um and, and um, we we also have started to work around that therapeutic kind of model and supervision is really important in that because suddenly you're asking people to step into a space where they're they're engaging with those conversations but they're perhaps not equipped to do it and we've started to think about um i know one college has talked about psychological ppe how is it that you uh, are equipped and maybe that's you know not just sort of mental health first aid stuff but it's beyond that uh, a little bit it's how do you get your supervision and support we've um, just at my course we've done a um a concept called swim buddies now for about three years um and everyone has a swim buddy um and it's been nicked from a um a book i read about uh, called team of teams uh, by um, Stanley McChrystal, who's a, an ex-general in the, the Navy SEALs. And he talked about um, that when you go through the Navy SEAL training, every single person gets a swim buddy and, and you never leave them and they don't leave you. And throughout, uh, it kind of carries through. And that's been absolutely invaluable. So everyone from me uh, right the way through has got a, got a swim buddy. Um, and when someone joins us as you know, a new starter, they get a swim buddy. Um, and it's just someone who they can go back to. And I think that's... That, that's worked really, really well. So uh, it's a bit of an idea to take away. Um, Catherine, do you want to come in on uh, sort of uh, how, you, how you've sort of experienced it thus far? Yeah, thank you. I'm Catherine Lewis. I'm the Deputy Chief Executive and Deputy Principal at um, MPTC Group of Colleges. So we're based, our headquarters is in Neath Patal, but we've got nine campuses spread over the third of the landmass of Wales. So we're quite um, a disparate organisation. And we own a few training providers as well in, in England. So we spread ourselves around. So, I think that um, we've developed a health and wellbeing strategy and um, found that implementing it wasn't as easy as we really thought it would. We had a really good policy and everything else running with it. So we decided as part of our internal audit process that we would have ourselves checked. So that was one of the areas we decided and then reported up to the governors and then got their buy-in to actually apply staff dedicated to help us drive it through. But I think that what is particularly key is that um, listening to some of the, the things that you, you've talked about. My background is I, I'm an employment law specialist, a solicitor for a long time practicing. And I was used on a regular basis to go to court and have my head, head kicked in. And um, you just sort of go shrug that off and go on to the next case sort of thing. Um, and coming working for the client, which is what I effectively did on a personal level, I was always very used to probably oversharing um, information about my personal life with clients to get that rapport just my very nature and I've carried that on into my working practices within the college so the managers that I work with the people that particular Sam talked about but talking about um what keeps you up at night I've always been in a position where I'm very interested in what's happening in their personal life as well and some colleagues don't want to share and that's quite okay um but it's all having my open dialogue because I think that to, to 
spend some of your the one-to-one -one contract meetings, the activities that you have, just check in because invariably, if things aren't going as effectively or as smoothly as you want in the work environment, it's invariably because of something outside of work, um, which are the harder ones to fix. And then you try and be as supportive as you can, as opposed to looking for solutions that you can potentially deliver in work. So I think what, what we've done, um, particularly the, the COVID situation on a, on a personal level, I think um, in my spare time, I'm chair of Welsh Netball and I was constantly busy. And for the first time since maternity leaves, my kids are in their 20s, I'm actually spending time at home. So, and my children have sort of said to me, the dog does sleep this much, ma'am. It's just you, you never hear. And I think that I've, I've realised and respected also the positions with colleagues. So when I, we, we've talked and you know, I've contacted our facilities and whatever under me, and I want to catch up with Jane, she says, well, I, I'm, you know, I've got this slot, but I, I want to walk the dog. And I said, that's fine. If you don't have Rabin Beach, I can't get to a beach. I'm, I'm living in hills. Just tell me what it's like, send me a picture. And it's having that freedom because it's trusting people. They'll do their job and however they do it. If, if they don't, you very, very soon will realise what happens. So I think that we've started to be kinder to one another. It's a bit cliche, isn't it? But COVID's done us a favour in, in that respect. We would have thought of anything else. Um, and we had a huge flurry of activity when we shut down last March because we turned one of our campuses into a field hospital, which um, felt like a very good idea at the time but actually as, as time went on and restrictions were lifted it we couldn't access one of our main campuses so that brought challenges and we felt that we were in a position where we were working 24-7 so by stepping back and actually recognizing that you know if somebody's not online at seven o'clock in the morning they're still doing a good job they just need to have that space so that so the valuable lessons we've learned and we are slowly working through the rigidity of an audit um, outcomes, which gives us some structure to hang ourselves on, if, if nothing else, for funding. So that's quite helpful then. So that's a little bit of what we're up to, I think. Thanks, Catherine. And actually, you, you pulled some tensions there, isn't it, that we all wrestle with around between the human and the, and the systemic sort of piece, isn't it, around um, how do we get that structure in place that makes us feel like we can almost justify the resource, perhaps sometimes, and or justify the activity to others. And you mentioned that, that trust thing, but a common theme through today is that concept of human and how do we put the human back into this kind of thinking and and that it's very holistic isn't it because i think i you know whether it's coaching or leadership career in colleges i've i've never talked to anyone who's struggled with things like distress that has not had something going on in their personal life at the same time so then compend that compounds and becomes this kind of bigger uh, bigger amplified thing and i just I want to go this too and, and dealing with colleagues who, you know, it started off at the, at the beginning of the pandemic where we all were aware of the kind of level of um, grief that people would experience and, and general distress solely on losing loved ones and colleagues. And, you know, as time has marched on, we've had slight, some breathing space where you think, oh, it's lifted. But now, I don't think this, I'll probably speak for all of us, there, there isn't, we all know somebody who's passed away from it. And I think just collectively dealing with colleagues losing people I think is and then the fear of losing your own now how you feel thankful but also struggling it, it, it has been acutely um conscious raising I think for our exec of, of how we want to deal with things going forward so it's been very valuable lessons for us 
Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, but I also like looking at the positives. You start to think about what might come, come out of, uh, of COVID as a, as a, as a thing. Um, Chris, do you want to just come on that point you put in the chat? Because I think it's a, it's a really important one about how do you connect that plan? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So we, we do have a formal plan. Um, and um, so I've been working on um, the, the kind of cultural change in the college around the, the, the Simon Sinek, which is which is put the why. So the why well, the why we exist is um, at the very top in our mission is uh, working together to transform lives. Um, so in the first year or so, we I, I talked almost exclusively about transforming lives. Now I'm talking about working together um, because actually it's that coming together that's making a difference to everyone during this during this time. So we do have we do have a, you know we have five strategic plans that are supposed to feed into that and, and one of those top level strategic plan is to be an employer of choice. So um, I'm always talking to the executive and the and the leaders um, and governors and saying right to be an employer of choice we need to do we need to do this and it's not the transactional. Um, so um, I've been challenging the executive myself um, uh, first line managers. Is is we we um, we need to understand and be sympathetic to individual needs, uh, and what what that's driven us to is kind of a bit in, a bit like teaching and learning. You need to personalise, you need to individualise. So if you start to create top down rules, um, uh, one size fits nobody. So so again, what what we what I'm what I've been trying to do is we try to create as few rules or top level rules but we try to create we try to create a, um, an environment a climate you know um that we're trying to work within and let and let people work under that policy without specific instructions and so therefore you know we do have some top-down stuff but the top-down stuff normally is about facilitating what people have told us they'd like to do um uh, lower down in the organization so and, and it's fed and, and we've been feeding into the college that Bradford College is a community um, and that, that staff, we are a community and we need to look after look after each other. So I've been promoted. So I go around all the departments and speak to staff. And one of the things alongside the you just need to do the best that you can do is, a, is, is this idea of permission to do what what do you think will help you? Um, and and they'll come up with, you know, you, therefore you take the pressure off yourself from having to be creative because I've got 750 creative people in my organisation that saying, actually, we'd really like to do this. We'd really like to do that. You know, I think there's a walking club where they kind of walk with, you know, um, while they're Zooming at the same time and, and talking. It's a way that you don't have to exercise on your own. As I said, we've got the baking class and, and all these ideas are coming bottom up. And what we're trying to do is simply facilitate that those groups, those groups to do things. So I'm I'm giving them permission, and at the same time, in an organisation when I arrived, who we were terrified of doing anything that wasn't mandated, trying to encourage them to occasionally, ah, oh, well, break the rules. It doesn't hurt. Um, you know, there are, there are some clear boundaries, but actually, beyond beyond those boundaries, you know, um, just have a go. Um, and, if, and if you find that it works, you know, so again, relieving 
that pressure on well, what happens if it doesn't work the last bit in here and you know we, it sort of goes back i don't know is the role model someone i think um Therese was saying about trust and and who leads the organization um as i go around um the, the departments and i see the departments without their managers um i'm comfortable in being vulnerable so i'm comfortable today to share that um i came down with covid on christmas day we tested positive on the 27th of december it was the most horrible experience that i've had um i was really worried about my wife at the time um because i thought she was going to end up hospitalized and um and really expressing some some of those um those feelings and sharing so that people know it's okay to share because shit you know you know stuart and i are long time friends you know but but but, but behind it it's Stuart, are you okay and that simple phrase are you okay and when someone says yeah i'm fine you no 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 are you really okay come on let, let's have a chat but you need to overcome this very you know oh I, I shouldn't really be discussing that so again as a role model i try to show some vulnerabilities that say it's okay to share it's okay not to be strong in these and it's okay to ask for help um and i think in in bradford what that's done and it was always very strong i think it was just suppressed in bradford is this real community sense of spirit in the whole element and teams have been helping themselves colleagues have been helping themselves and, and a lot of referrals and lots of things we get are, are where people are a bit like Stuart swing buddies but rather than mandating it allowing people because everybody's different so we're trying to do a bottom-up approach there is a plan at the top but it's mainly about facilitating encouraging and I guess you know I hate these management words but Stuart likes them to put them down that empowerment to do stuff so um that's what that's what we've been trying to do and I think people have been enjoying that freedom yeah to be able to do it Thanks, question. And uh, so I guess what are the management words that uh, would be around responsibility? Because one of the, the, the more challenging space of this is it's we're, we're all, I guess, on the call because we, we've got some experience of, uh, of proactively leading around wellbeing and, and, and cultural change that's really positive. Uh, one of the more challenging aspects that I'm going to chuck in now for us perhaps to have a few minutes on is um, whose responsibility is it for good wellbeing? So, you know, the, the health and safety executive will say that we have got legal responsibilities around around safety and well-being, um, but there is a limit to what those those feel like. But some of the things we've been talking about today has been you know, way beyond that. So, um, so, so, you know, our, our, our funding agreements don't say that we've got to have uh, happy and well staff. Uh, our um, offset inspection regimes don't tell us that, you know, they talk about students, but not necessarily. As much around staff so so where does our responsibility lie in some of this and is it you know if i'm in charge is it just a nice to have so uh who wants to come in on that slightly more uh sort of challenge go on pally uh, yeah um it, it does worry me Stuart, that um that well-being um is is, is has become an industry um and and it's uh, it's almost a human right you know well to be well and to be mentally well is a human right but it's become a become a significant uh, and becoming an increasingly significant industry with um 
with all kinds of initiatives and, and, and themes and words and apps and, you know, and, and the perfect lifestyle. And I think social media, you know, we, we, we can't underestimate the, the fact that we as human beings with a very tiny brain uh, in terms of uh, uh, the part of the brain that we do use is, is overwhelmed with, with data and information. And, and well-being is a sense of feeling, you know, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a sense of reality. And, 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 and the two are, are totally different, but the sense of feeling is a reality. Um, so, you know, how, how do we, you know, how do we, um, getting back to your point of your question, really, how do we, um, uh, um, how does this sit and whose responsibility it is? Um, I, 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 I have a daily dilemma of that um, with, with, with staff because I'm not there to, and this might sound hard, but to, to manage a professional's workload. I am there to support them, listen to them, guide them and help them as much as I can. Um, but w with regards to this kind of uh, neoliberal world that we're living in, of, of um, consuming as much as we can um, and wanting to take on as much as we can. I've found in my experience that loads of people want and love the idea of uh, responsibility uh, and empowerment. But when, when they understand that they're then truly responsible and accountable, the, you know, the, 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 it kind of then moves, starts moving away. So it's a it's a push pull tension I feel, um, and, I th and 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 the other observation I was just thinking to myself is um, it's great to have the leaders here and discussing discussing this within leadership. I think there's governance as well. I think there's a there's, you know there's that governance role of leadership as well with regards to how they support because the language, you know, for the last five to ten years. Um, where, where governors have been criticised for not challenging, holding to account, robust challenge, and the way and words that are used and how people are made to feel sometimes um, in, in meetings and meeting spaces, just for the sake of minutes, <laughs> is, uh, is not helpful. And then that, that, per, that permeates into the organisation. So the structures are set external to us and leadership is we're stuck in between that what's what outside is what's going on outside and trying to manage the delivery for the for, for the best for our students in in a really quite fragile system which is showing its 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 cracks now because it's not been invested in might have been invested in in terms of loans and buildings and bradford's a good example of that but it, ha, it you know it, it's been neglected because i've heard chris say this before you know that the, the heart has been neglected, and and that and well-being is about the heart and the soul and how we're feeling. That's yeah, absolutely brilliant. And I think um, and and we did really well to get to an hour into the conversation. We talked about the system, but we're there now, aren't we? So let's let's talk about is 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 this um, you know heroic movement of moving towards well-being and and inventing a new way of talking about it and language and leadership. Uh, is it even possible within the system in which we currently operate that feels, um, you know, we're using the phrase like hold the feet to the fire and um, 
and some of those governance models that you you, you hint to. So, you know, um, I, I probably try to, uh, Sam, would you like to come in around this one? Because I know that you've done a lot of thinking around systems and then, and then probably Ali after that. I'm not sure I can add a lot more to that one, to be honest, Stuart. I'll pass that one on to somebody else. Uh, 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 passing the book is also allowed in the uh, the wellbeing good. empowerment. So, yeah, that's <laughs> not, I wasn't in the right headspace for that one at that point. So if anybody else wants to jump in before me, that would be well, great. Thank you. Well, in that case, Ali, I'm going to look to, to you to provide some leadership around where's the system at and, and is it possible to deliver, you know, really good quality wellbeing for staff in this system? Um, I think if we look at the approaching this question in terms of is it possible, is it not, I would say we would struggle uh, because of course we have a, um, you know, a, a policy environment that is sort of developed over years and tens of years and um, sorry that's not really great is it, decades <laughs> um, and, and it's kept adding to its complexity, but not really in any enabling manner, including from, you know, I haven't gone through the whole of the white paper yet, but it's, it continues in that direction. But that said, um, I would say that though the policy environment is not an enabler, and it does create a lot of barriers, including the kind of language that is used by some of the uh, regulatory agencies. But there is still room for leaders to operate, um, which I would say, you know, taking Sam's much, much earlier point, actually, when we started this conversation, I think at some point, uh, one, one has been in an organization for um, a few years, there is space for them to operate. Um, there is a term which I normally use in the college, but I, if this is being recorded, I wouldn't be able to use it, uh, but it's got an umbrella in it, uh, the term, and the rest of it you wouldn't be able to use publicly, um, which I actually see as part of um, leaders' roles, you know, the leader is, is an enabler and a protector, and if you take the, you know, so Chris talked about uh, permission to do or permission not to do more than once in this conversation, and I think that actually sits at the heart of these conversations because um, a lot of people need to have that permission externalized to them. You know, it's fine not to get it right every time, like what Sam was talking about earlier. It's fine to take a lunch break. You know, people brag about, oh, I don't take lunch. Why? That's not a good thing. You really do need to take lunch. Even if you don't eat, it's a break. Um, and these permissions are important and, um, um, you know, what Chris talked about, you know, in terms of sharing, in terms of doing, in terms of um, even sharing information, personal information. Um, personally, I do find that difficult. You know, I come from a culture that uh, I'm not necessarily talking about the culture as in, in Iraq, but um, my personal culture in terms of, you know, I don't really share a great deal, I find it difficult. So I have to work on that and I still struggle with it. But to go back to the central question, does the policy environment allow not a great deal? Is it possible despite the policy environment? 
I would say a lot of it is, but not all of it. Thanks, Ali, and uh, a really balanced, balanced view around that. And like I say, it might be where the maturity is on, on a particular institution and how how bold people might want to, might want to be. Anyone else want to come in around uh, around uh, around that? Go on, Chris. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll um, I think it is possible um, because we are the leaders in this sector. And yes, policy. Yeah, let's be honest. Policy comes and goes. Um, skills for jobs, white paper. Yeah, we've seen that before, haven't we? Um, and yeah, we. Um, let's be honest. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to say that we're all that old because that would be quite rude. But we've been around the block. Um, we've seen Tomlinson. We've seen the Richards reviews. We, we've. We. They all say the same. Okay. Ministers and MPs and governments essentially come and go. Um, particularly ministers um, come and go. I, I think in, in education, we, we, knock, we knock them out every 18 months, don't we? Um, uh, and I've got a feeling this one can't last that much longer, can it? So, um, so, actually, and I've always been really keen not to be a victim of a system. Um, and therefore, we have the, we have the power um, to, to make those changes. Um, the thing that's really important in that, though, is individuals can make a difference. Okay, um, I, I mean, I've I've seen Sam's, um, you know, what Sam's been doing at, uh, in uh, South East London and making a huge difference there. And, you know, follow on LinkedIn, Stuart's, you know, this well-being. We can see individuals making a difference. Um, but if we really want to move it forward, we need to collectively make a difference. Um, and sometimes in our sector, that's not the bit, that's the bit that we're not that good at. We're too competitive. I think we've been brought up in an environment to, to be competitive. I think the time now, however, and one of the things out the FE white paper is about more collaboration. And, uh, you know, there's things like our Love Our Colleges campaign that we all got behind. We all got behind. Um, if we do that, we take control and I think we can we can make transformational change. And and the reason why I think we can do that is because if we and I believe this and and Bradford College in the last two years is showing evidence that actually um, it's one of the other questions. This idea of well-being and performance, it's not an either or. I'm seeing incredible improvements in performance. You just need to trust that if you put employees and well-being at the center of your plans actually performance improves um, and people that are you know mentally well people that are stable people people who are enjoying having fun perform better so we just need to have confidence in what the research shows us and a little bit of courage to collectively say we're going to do this and i actually think that we'll show positive results and therefore all those all the one all the wonders about the policy will probably actually out outdo the policy because we'll get better results because we've taken that leap of faith but change is always a bit of a leap of faith but i think we you know again collectively is the key thing cheers chris um and, and you're right that, that i think that we've been brought up in an environment that's been too competitive and we we've generated these kind of you know a uh, sort of Darwinian survival of the fittest uh, element that 
Uh, in different times, we've all been fans of perhaps uh, a little bit too much, but that diet needs to change into a more collaborative uh, collaborative model. Um, uh, Barbara, you want to come through this? Yeah, just, just wanted to pick on some of those points. It's not an either or, you know, and I think that the risk that we run is, is and it's, it's linking with some of the things Pally said as well, is that if we try to add, do all of these mental health things on top of your very busy life and feel like it's, a, you know, something that they also have to do or think of, actually it's really really difficult and we've got to really think about do we create the space in the normal life to do all of this so are we really looking at the holistically like you said Stuart you know the whole of the week are we really asking them to do some extra stuff just because it's nice to do those mental health things actually some of those might not be needed if we actually looked at just the way we worked and it we created a pace that is more adapted to how they wanted to work so I think it's really important that you know we um we we listen to what people need and then we adapt to what they need but also not add on that layer of mental health as an as an add-on it's got to be spoken about as just part of what we do day in day out and talking about whose res responsibilities it, is it of course it is the leader's responsibilities but we need to create that culture where people can put their hand up and say I need some support with this I need help with that is is really key and actually you know what you've asked me to do is is just not working for me let's try something different and I think where we are now in the pandemic compared to where we were in March, April, it feels very different now. I don't know if it is in your institutions, but I think some of the things we try to do, you know, July, August, where we could go out and walk and things. And, and now that it's sort of dragged on for a year, I, we feel like we're at a stage where we need to review some of the things that we put in place. Are they still working and being flexible, adapting to how people, you know, people's needs, people, people's feeling like you said some people haven't seen their loved ones for years I mean I've not seen my family for since 2019 because I can't go out of the country to see them you know it, it's now having a long-term impact and I think at the beginning it was that short-term impact now it's the long-term impact so if we think about the external aspects I think we can cope with external policy for a little while and sort of, you know, if it's a short term, we can still do what we need to do, prioritise, tick all of the boxes, you know, the Ofsted, the, all of the audits for a little while. Now it's like a longer term activity. I think we need to probably think, you know, and, and collaboratively, like you said, Chris, you know, have that voice heard. Actually, we've now the year where we've had to cope with things. Things need to change. So we're going to have to come back to it again and again. I think it's not a we've got a solution. This is what it is. It's you know, let, let's look at actually what changes need to be made for the future and what legacy do we want out of all of this? Like you were talking about, how do we come out of it? Actually, what are the things that need to be changed? And we definitely don't want to go back to some of the ways of working we had. This has worked really well for us. And we've shown that, like you said, Chris, as well, um, you know, they're performing better. So why, why would we want to go back to the past? So Sorry, probably a lot of, uh, of thoughts there in, in one go, but um, I, I think there's a lot to think of. We are all responsible for our health and well-being, but let's think of it holistically and not as a, an add-on is probably the key message for me. Thanks, Barbara, and, lo and lots about the structure, but also, yeah, the that linking that 
it's not it's not an add-on it's not as well as it's 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 sort of intrinsically required around that um i'll uh, I'm, I'm conscious that i, I I sort of promised that we would try and keep this within a kind of 90 minute sort of uh, space. So um, I, I start, I'm going to invite all of you one by one to uh, have a consideration of uh, what's the, the bit of advice, uh, because we've got a lot of wisdom in the room. Uh, so what's the bit of advice you might give to, to either um, other people working in our sector or the, uh, the policymakers or anyone you want to find to sort of give Friday advice to? Um, and so I'll come to each one of you uh, in a, momentarily. So, so we had some really rich themes today and uh, around around the discussion. Uh, I've been trying to jot some down as we've been going to try and understand what that might might feel like as a whole. Um, and it feels like there is something about being bold and being brave, and there is a moment to do bold and brave leadership and perhaps some of those counterintuitive pieces of leadership. Um, the second I wrote down was around uh, about well-being being the work that it's not an add-on; it's got to be holistic. And that putting the human back in is 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 really critical in in this. Um, a third was a rich thing that we all talked about in different ways is connecting people, but also taking the pressure off and that permission to take pressure off. Uh, but also how we are spending, whether it's fun things or or little things, is how do we how do we really get that sense of connectivity um, through? Fourth one was around self care is hard, uh, and it's hard for individuals. It's hard for leaders. Um, perhaps we're we're starting to be counterintuitive once again to how we've been brought up as leaders and we need to think differently about how we think about that and there's a discipline and love Pally's phrase about you know it's a bit of a blended work at the moment it's blended um and whether we want it blended or not perhaps that's where we're at uh, a number of us talked to in little examples when we're giving those kind of micro examples of great ideas to steal uh, actually the rediscovery of fun and you know that concept that work can be fun and perhaps we've all got a bit too serious over the years um, and uh, myself included, and how we share a bit of each other a, a little bit more than we perhaps do. There's something around um, sort of coaching approaches and supervision, and how do we to sort of adopt different uh, modes of, uh, of modes of leadership. Um, and then the final one I dropped down is around policy might not be an enabler, but it doesn't have to restrict too much. And we've perhaps got some more opportunity than we might first think uh, around that. So those are kind of my um, my sort of takeaway big uh, big ticket items. Um, but that's a little summary. Uh, plenary is there to give you a bit of thinking space to give your bits of advice. So I'm just going to take it in sort of some random orders that I've got uh, around the screen. So Sam, uh, you've unmuted, which means you're first. So uh, I'll be right. I'm, I'm obviously not on the same um, time zones everybody today because that was my hand up in relation to the last question. So I have the answer now, but I'll turn it into my reflection for your uh, nicely um, introduced um, section, um, Stuart. Um, three, three things, really, three takeaways for me. The first thing is that if we didn't all believe as leaders that we could make a difference, we wouldn't all be here, either in our roles uh, or, or in our institutions or in this sector. So I think the fact that we all believe we can personally make a difference not just to the lives of our students, our organisations, our local communities, et cetera, et cetera. We wouldn't be here. And that, that passion is actually what drives most of these behaviours, I think, that, that help us to ensure our organisations are succeeding. So it's just great. well done to everybody who's surviving um, that. The second thing, which goes back to your systems point, really, and I did find it difficult to go from the micro to macro, but I'll just give you a macro point, is that there are a huge amount 
of, uh, you know, and even yesterday's white paper is littered with uh, hundreds of examples of false premises, false truths, uh, you know, paradigms that exist in worlds that I don't recognise. And to give you one example of that, it really is, uh, you know, um, and, and there are many parts of the system that don't join up around this in policy terms, but, you know, the Ofsted well-being elements in the framework uh, and the expectations and the surveys on staff and teachers that might expect might on the one hand suggest we live in a one particular paradigm but in the other we know the framework drives behaviors that 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 don't encourage that sort of behavior so i think the system uh we all have to find our own ways through it in the ways that work for our organization but systems policy policy churn policy amnesia cycles where things keep coming around without the lessons of the previous you know decades having been learned, all of those things that City and Guilds talk about in their, you know, sense and instability types of reports, they don't help us. And they are, uh, without doubt, um, if you like, layers of complexity uh, that, that, that make it even more difficult for us to do our jobs. So let's hope some of the promises yesterday around simplification uh, do actually come through. And then the, the probably the third thing um, for me um, is that um, and it kind of links with the policy and our, our own kind of practice, really, is that um, it is very difficult to interpret policy in a way that enables you to create a well-being uh, climate and culture in your organisations when we're constantly being told that we don't know what employers need and we've got to, you know, respond to them in different ways, whereas we're all working in institutions that were founded on working closely with employers and we wouldn't all still be in business if we didn't all do that very well and in general much better than other parts of the education system so you know when we're sent surveys which ask us things like you know would your staff be prepared to work more flexibly to work in the evenings to work more responsibly for employers you know yes of course we do we're already doing all of those things but those things don't suit everybody and i think we are under quite a sort of master and servant sort of relationship really a very paternalistic relationship with both the policy makers and and in some instances you know some of the end users of the system so i think there are many things about being responsive that mean we have to there's a lot of challenge for around for us around building a more flexible and a more diverse workforce you know it will some people to work evenings and weekends it doesn't suit others but all of these you know pressures and um, sort of accusations that we don't know how to deliver uh, do add extra layers of complexity I think um, to what we do and very last point from me the FE food bank was a fantastic example not just in my own college but in 40 college nationalities nationally of staff working together getting meaning you know, in the classroom, uh, in the home, fundraising, activities, Santa dashes and all that. And the, the amount of positive personal and sector well-being that came from galvanising people to do something for others less fortunate themselves. And I think we shouldn't forget that although we are have many challenges in the sector, you know, we aren't on the front line in a war. Um, you know, managing in incredibly difficult circumstances like our NHS heroes are. And we shouldn't forget that, but we also shouldn't 
forget how much we can do to support those. And by nature in our DNA, that is something we do very, very well as a sector. And I think that gives a huge amount of personal uh, well-being and comfort. I know it has done for me and, and you and others, Stuart, in your commitment to that. So those things we do to galvanise and support others are such important parts of what we do as a sector. Brilliant, Sam, thank you. And uh, uh, my only counter-reflection is that someone who dressed as Santa Claus and had to run 10 kilometres uh, along Great Yarmouth Seafront, uh, that was not good for my well-being. But anyway, we'll move, move on. Uh, Pally, can I come to you for your, uh, your bit of advice or takeaway? Thank you. Um, I've, tried to, I've tried to make some notes there. And, uh, uh, Sam's made some fantastic, fantastic points and... I'm not sure I'll be as uh, 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 as, as um, clear as perhaps uh, as, as Sam was, so, but I'll try um, in terms of decoding my notes. Um, I think I think so. Th these are just my personal reflections um, on on this meeting and on just my personal experience of of well being. I, I don't feel. Um, that we've scoped the challenge of why is well-being such a problem, uh, and, and and again, I I don't think that is just for us. I, I, that that is society. You know, nineteen nineties, the early two thousands, back pain was the number one, and as we as we move into and as we start accelerating um, into the fourth industrial revolution, you know, the 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 the, the one thing that is consistent is change whether it is change because leadership demands for us to change because um, we need transformation or whether it is change because um, the external environment has changed such as uh, such as covid but but change is 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 inevitable and being un being uncomfortable being comfortable with being uncomfortable is is um is something which which just is is there you know it's, it's it's we don't live in a consistent time now um and my feeling is uh, the one thing that is consistent throughout all of that is is that concept of language how we interrelate how we speak to one another and a lot of that takes time and effort whether it's email whether it is doing that checking in and um, because it requires uh, stop, reflection, communicate. <laughs> and how often do we do we just communicate? And you know, we've been in a political time of it is fine just to communicate. And Twitter is a good example of that. Uh, and 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 you know, politicians have been a good example of just putting their things out there. And 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 um, consequence and behaviour have not been aligned so uh, you know we, we, we're operating in our small world so i agree with everything that everyone said about collaborating working together uh, underpinning and, and and i really welcome this 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 meeting and and having just a conversation <laughs> about this you know this must be one of the first type of conversations that we're having about this but you know i i wrote an article after George Floyd was murdered, and I had loads and loads of people um, contact me, but it never occurred to me to have a, a leadership conversation. 
Um, um, but loads of people were, 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 were you know, loads, in, loads of individuals contacted me. But it never occurred to me to to have a leadership conversation. She, you were one of them. You were very kind when, when, when you responded to me. Um, and I think we do need more of that, actually. I think we do need more co collaborative leadership on difficult challenges that we're all facing. Um, those are my reflections. Thanks, Paddy. Really lovely uh, thoughts and reflections around that. And, um, and these, these types of conversations we can do more of, I'm sure. Um, Catherine, can I come to you next, please? Yeah, I think reflection for me and listen to what everybody's had to say, and particularly some of the comments Chris has made in, in the chat. I think that it's all about having our policies and whatever in place, yes, but having the will with one another to, to want to be supportive and have a, a kinder and a more collaborative way of working because you'll achieve our goals. As, as Theresa said, holding feet to the fire is not helpful at all, and actually, it does, it's not productive. Um, and, and it's just time consuming trying to drive that kind of through. So I think that recognizing you've got a strategic plans in place, we all pull into one way and you understand the direction of travel. If somebody is out of kilter, you explore through normal channels to see what, what the reason is and try and remedy it, obviously. But I think that from a health and well-being perspective it, and also self-care is recognizing that people definitely need downtime. And that does and, and that can be factored into a working time as well. It's too easy at the moment to have our diaries completely filled from eight to eight. We're not careful, particularly as we just sit in at our desk. So I think that having proper structured downtime and recognizing it's okay to say to colleagues, I'm sorry, I can't actually do that because I am actually, that's the half hour I set aside to literally get fresh air and, and, and not be embarrassed to say that. And I think that reflections from me is that leaders need to demonstrate that and the need because if we don't do it, then it actually so sorry, that's my beagle going because the Morrison shops arrived. And when my kids haven't out of bed yet, one of them. Sorry. <laughs> oh, really cool, Catherine. And um, and uh, that's I think that's as a, a kind of a lockdown scenario, isn't it? That I've probably seen more children and dogs appear uh, than ever before, and that's part of the richness of, of the way we work at the moment. Uh, Ali, I'm gonna come across to you if that's okay. Thank you, Stuart. Um, I think to, I mean, what I have found over the past um, three years is to to make the thing stick. So it's not we we don't only talk about it when we have meetings about well-being, but every decision that comes up for discussion in any forum anywhere in the college, in exactly the same way. I remember when um, years and years ago we used to risk assess all decisions. So now every time there's a decision or there's a grievance or anything, then you just take it back to that principle and test it out. And I found actually over time, it's starting to stick. People are thinking, yeah, well, that's not fair, is it? Or that's not ethical, is it? And that wasn't the case only three years ago. So I would, stay, I would say as long as we stick to it, and we always take it back to that definition of what it means to be a human and to be, you know, you want people to be fair to you and you want to be fair to others. Then it starts to um, bite and stick. So that's one. And another, and that's an example I would like to share that um, came out of the blue, but, you know, the college was going through some really, really difficult times and I was having just lots of 
internal conversations. And there are lots of issues, people, you know, I mean, left, right and center. So I said, we can't deal with all of these things in one go. Why don't we just have dedicated groups? So one group looks at trust and whoever wants to be on it, you know, could. And another one on well-being and another one on communication and another one on, um, I've actually got a very long list here. Culture, Demenos culture, all stuff. Um, and I think it, the penny dropped for me when these meetings were taking place and people were sharing. And I think the senior staff then found them quite threatening when I was taking them actually seriously. They thought this is going to be a talking shop and I'm going to defend the system because that's just the way Ofsted expects us to operate. I mean, we ended up changing all of our quality processes, you know, created new roles in communication, removed roles in management. And it has been transformational. This is the one thing, you know, if I was recommending anything to somebody starting, I would say that's just the one thing, do it. Because for every hour you spend with one of those groups, you gain the amount of intelligence that you would never be able to pick up in a year. And provided you're genuinely sticking with it and challenge back obviously when it's due and be receptive when it's due and take Chris's point about, you know, being vulnerable and saying, look, I don't know, what do you suggest? You know, these things start to work. So we've now got these, all of these groups mainstreamed, people ask about them, all the stuff that is discussed is published and it's good. Thanks, Ali. A little takeaway idea uh, for, for us there. Uh, I'm conscious my terrible chairmanship is starting to, to erode uh, time getting away from us. So some just quick reflections I made from uh, to Barbara first. Yeah, quick, quick one. And I think um, echo a lot of what's been said already. I think one, we've got to stop, think, reflect and give ourselves time to just just reflection, but also pat ourselves on the back that we've done very well. We've got to this point. We've you know, we don't give ourselves credit enough for how well we've managed in a way in these very difficult circumstances. So I think, you know, really rewarding ourselves with something positive because we have got to this stage, I think is something that probably we don't do enough and, and we probably don't see that from policymakers. You know, well done, you've made it to here. Well done, you've supported your staff and the sector, every part of the sector. Um, rather than asking to send complaints if you're not happy about your college. Uh, let's be positive about it. And I think for, for me, another one in terms of policy makers is let's start to think now about the legacy and what we want to do in the future to stop some of the reactive activities that we have that actually disrupt the sector so much. So let's start to think now about in five years times, where do we want to be and start to create that path. And, and listen and trust the sector listen to what the sector has to say we've we've managed we've carried on we've done things that were needed so listen to the whole sector and trust that the solution the, the sector has got the solution um and i think that that would be uh, yeah my takeaway to the policymakers. thank you guys you've done an amazing job and now you know what, what do you think we should do next nice system if the government were like that we'd all be delighted when we dawn cut to you all right 
Uh, mine's a really simple, basic one. And I think just picking up on what everybody said, it was more about that collaboration. Uh, and I think that's something that we're really good at with ACLs. We definitely don't see ourselves in competition. We have very strong uh, collaboration and partnership working. And that's not just within our own sort of combined local authorities or areas. I would say that's nationally. Uh, so I think my, um, my thing to you guys was in the current language of COVID, uh, not to look at each other as competition, but as your support bubbles, and whether that's personally or professionally, that that would be my advice today. Lovely, uh, succinct and, and support bubbles. Yes, I, I like that. We've created one today, haven't we? Um, so, uh, and then uh, finally, Chris, uh, come to you for your kind of uh, your bit of advice for the sector or for us. <laughs> bit of advice, oh God, bit of advice. Never take anyone's advice, is my advice. Um, okay, um, it, reflections. Um, so, I think the key thing that taking from from this um, is if you invest in your workforce and trust them, I think they'll deliver on our purpose and our mission. And I want to go on then in that reflection to say, but what does invest mean? Because I think what we've been doing is right. If we invest in this, what's our return on investment? And then we get into, well, how do we measure that investment? What's our, what's the, the effectiveness? What's the, the, what's the efficiencies? What's the measures? Um, we look at staff utilization. We, 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 we challenge teaching hours. We, so um, I think we need to move away from that as an investment and a return on investment um, and stop looking at that, the cold, hard um, numbers at the bottom of any sheet. And I think actually what we need to, we need to, um, need to do is we need to invest. Um, I think the investment and what we mean, what I mean by investment in our workforce is an investment in them as people. Um, and as leaders, we need to be supportive. And someone's already said this. We need to be supportive, caring and kind. And I think if you do that, I think you can stop counting the beans because actually we'll deliver on that mission. Um, I'm getting too old for this. So I probably, like Martin Luther King said, I probably won't get to the promised land. But actually, my job is to pass the baton on in, in a way that the baton's worth carrying. So um, my last bit on this is in a reflection, I think we need, I think we need to move away from cold metrics towards warming hearts and minds. Oh, that's uh, that's a bite-sized quotable moment there, isn't it? Uh, just <laughs> at the end. So for that beautiful moment, Chris, we will forgive you drawing a parallel to yourself and Martin Luther King. I didn't. No, I didn't. Well, yeah. And shine straight across that little bit of self-righteous moment. Um, that, uh, that genuinely brings us to an interesting uh, conclusion. I I've really, really enjoyed the conversation. Part of the idea of this with, with ETF when we designed it was to have have uh, something that was uh, some sort of creating artifacts for others to 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 enjoy but actually I've genuinely enjoyed being part of uh, a conversation I think that's because of your openness and your transparency your uh, the, the richness and, and and compassionate way you've wanted to share ideas uh, and, and thoughtful reflections and we've not tried we've not solved it today by any means but we've um, at least got into it a little bit more than we perhaps um, perhaps have done in the past.
Um, so I think that that's really, really good. And maybe we've started to start to scope the challenge, but we might need to do some more work uh, as, as we go through. But I think we leave behind probably a, um, a, a video resource uh, for, for the future for some people. And, uh, and there's a bit of follow up work we're going to kind of do around that. So just genuinely thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for all of your um, good contributions this morning and, and it's a nice way of spending a Friday I think uh, as well so um, before I, uh, I press stop on the record I've, we've just got one final thing to do which is a, a, a Covid kind of um, a, a custom now isn't it we have to do the embarrassing wave goodbye and then we can go so thank you on behalf of myself thank you as, as chair thank you on behalf of ETF and uh, we shall see you later on bye bye for more information and advice on well-being in the sector, please visit the ETF website at et-foundation.co.uk and the Society for Education and Training website at set.et-foundation.co.uk.